Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to Voices from the Bench. We are at episode 105. My name is Elvis. My name is Barbara. So far, anyways, I should say. I might change it after being quarantined for a few days, because I know you've been quarantined for a couple weeks. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. It's amazing how fast time goes when you're not really doing much, but <laughs> mm. it's definitely a different dynamic in life. I'll tell you that much. It's, yeah. It seems mm-hmm. like all you do is you make food and do laundry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Fortunately, you can get outside now, right? So I'm expecting you to go for some long runs and be a little more normal, hopefully. Yes, I've been able to go on a few runs and it's been nice to get out. You see somebody on the street and you got to cross the street, which is a bit odd. Yeah, but everyone understands, you know, everyone's just trying to get out and get air. Indiana last week mandated a stay at home order. The governor. Mm -hmm. Pretty much everything is shut down in this state. So do you leave your house at all? Just asking, do you go to the grocery store, the gas? I mean, are you just pretty much down and you guys have enough supplies? Home delivery of groceries is what we've been doing. Mm -hmm. Frozen groceries and local grocery stores will do home delivery and they've now just like drop it off. And uh, we're playing it safe. All the food we get, we bring it in with gloves and spray it down and... Hmm. Wait, if we can, we'll wait even three days to uh, touch the non-perishables. Because wow. that's what we're told, yeah. the virus lives on packages that long. So. so how's your lab doing? Give me an update on you, and I'll give you an update on us. Yeah, absolutely. So the lab is basically not accepting work. I mean, we'll take it, but we're limiting the drivers out, obviously. Yeah. People still ship to us, but we're finishing up work. We got about 30 more cases to do on Monday. And we're just bringing in a skeleton crew to finish it. And then after that, we're just going to kind of wait and see. Yeah. So in your great state of Illinois, (laughs) did you guys furlough your workers, lay them off, or you just kind of... They're at home. Are they taking vacation pay? Give me a little bit of an insight. What we're doing is furloughing. Okay. We're telling them that there's no work. I mean, we could be open. We're considered an essential business in Indiana. But the fact that there's no work is the reason why we're not open. Yeah. We're furloughing. People can file for unemployment. They can get on the new order that the government's released where people get additional unemployment. Great. And then hopefully in uh, not too long a time, we can start calling and bringing people into work. Yeah. Knight actually furloughed 100 employees Friday. All at once? I hate it. I really hate it. But same thing. Welcome them back. We're going to pay the insurance. All the way to May, and for sure we want them back. Can't wait for some normalcy to come. And everybody took it really well. I mean, they've seen other laboratories in the area close a couple weeks ago. So we we tried as long as we could and as long as work was coming in. And then all of a sudden it was just like, boom, you know, two cases come in the door and you're used to 400. It's like really shocking. But um, trying to take care of everybody. We created a Facebook page for our team members and everybody's kind of connecting there and we're doing as best we can. 
I'm taking it a little hard because I just can't believe it, you know, but I'm sure everybody else is too. So I don't put myself in any different position. We talk about the dental lab industry a lot, but every industry is getting hit. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I got takeout. It's funny. I go to, there's like five cars in line for takeout. Weird. You can't go out to restaurants. You can't go to the mall. You can't do anything. And it's just like, wow. And you know what? I do like the fact that I bring the family back and all of those things and um, I see so many people out exercising and, you know, just hanging out with their family. A lot of dog walking in our neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> Is anybody at night working like phones, administrative? Um, yeah. So tomorrow we've got a crew of about 20, myself included. We've got a fair amount of whip in the system, which is work in progress in my world. We brought in as many people as we could to finish the work in progress done. And then um, myself and about six other folks are going to be there answering the phone, doing emergency cases. You know, as long as there's something for us to do, we'll be there. And then we'll, you know, as it grows back and doctors get back to work and we start growing again, then we'll just reach out to everybody and bring them back as fast as we can. So I'm a big believer in teeth. I love what we do. People always need teeth. There's a lot of people out there right now going, oh my God, my tooth hurts. And, you know, they're going to walk back to the dentist. I really don't believe that they're canceling their insurances. And I think they just can't go to the dentist. So I'm a big believer in the fact that we'll come back with a vengeance. And um, I really think that'll happen. Maybe May, June, whatever. But we're coming back. Yeah. I encourage everyone when they get their stimulus check to save it for dental work. That's what I'm yeah. looking for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me too. All right. So uh, let's get on with the episode. Enough with that sad stuff. Sorry, guys. Just keeping it real. Yeah. Last week, we had a great update from Bennett Napier on some resources that the NADL has put together for labs. Now, a week has gone by, so we wanted to bring Bennett back on again to update us on what dental labs should know now. Right. Please note that this was recorded on Saturday the 28th in the afternoon. We mention this because of how much information changes on a daily basis. So join us as we get an update from Bennett. Unfortunately and fortunately... We have Bennett here with us with the NADL to talk more about the COVID-19 and the dental lab industry. How are you, sir? Uh, I guess probably as well as everybody else. Um, so, uh, yes. you know, just trying to look for the bright side where you can find it. And, you know, each day brings new information and new decision makings. I just appreciate both of you for keeping the message out there and as much as you've been doing. And certainly appreciate the opportunity to be on last week and uh, continuing that on um, as much as we need to going forward just to kind of bring where we can new information or at least new resources for people to look at based on their needs. So happy to be back with you to at least share information. Absolutely. Yeah, you've been doing that. NADL has been doing that all along on Facebook, and I've seen it on a lot of social media. Definitely uh, Elvis and I have this platform as well, so we're trying to get out as much information as we can as possible. I know for me, it's been a rough week, Elvis, too. Can you kind of give us a little bit of What's happening on the small business development front? What's going on with the centers and the local resources? Sure. NADO had a webinar last Wednesday. We'll have another one next week. We'll probably have maybe two, at least two or three more, it looks like. But last week was kind of more what I would call an overview webinar of just kind of the, the landscape that we knew as of Wednesday afternoon 
which obviously changed, you know, 48 hours later, yeah. which we'll talk about that too. But, you know, I think the biggest thing that we recognize with, you know, whether it's emails or phone calls coming into NADL, what we have learned, if anything, is that every situation is different. In many cases, especially in a webinar format, yeah. you know, over 200 people on the webinar and people are posting questions. And a lot of them were very case specific, which is obvious that, you know, makes sense because they're looking at their own specific needs, which is where they should be. And what we've learned is there's always kind of a, the first question leads to two to three more questions. And so, you know, I think we have been doing sort of the last maybe 72 hours is try to determine if laboratories have reached out to local resources, which all states have what's called small business development centers. They're government program. They've always been in existence. They're not new and their services are free. And so what we've encouraged people to do, if they haven't reached out to that entity as a resource, we've got links to that on our NADL news page where people can look state by state. Not every city has one. The large metropolitan areas usually have one, but every state has at least one, if not more. And so people can type in their zip code and find uh, the one that's closest to them and uh, coordinate some conversation with the local resources. And so NADL has multiple HR partners that we work with, including C-Management and Insperity. And just even talking with our partners that have been helping labs, that every city, every state's different, not only with this particular situation, but just in general. So you may have, you know, relative to furlough regulations, believe it or not, there's differences of furlough regulations at the state level, in some respects, depending on where people are located. So it, it gets the bottom line is, it's not usually a quick answer. And so what we have to kind of do kind of what I call surgical focus of where's the lab located, who have they talked to thus far, if anybody, and then kind of go to the next step to say, okay, based on these facts and circumstances, who are the best either local resources that are available at a government level? And then certainly if, if one of our partners can help them, you know, with some of their decision making kind of in a parallel sense, we'll recommend that too, based on whatever their particular situation is. Certainly, everybody was kind of waiting on bated breath for the newest relief package to come to fruition, which obviously got signed oh, yeah. on Friday. And okay. so people were already posting questions on social media or calling us saying, well, how do I apply for this? Where do I go? And the, the bottom line is this is new territory for everybody, you know, meaning yeah. when I say everybody, banks, <laughs> you know, HR professionals, attorneys, this is all new territory. And so yeah. even if we take the examples of banks, people who obviously have strong relationships with their banks may have gotten information by email or if they've got a commercial banker that they work with. At this stage, there's certain elements of the relief that got signed into law yesterday where only banks that are small business administration preferred lenders will actually be able to execute some of the relief package. Mm -hmm. and so that's important for labs to determine if their bank is an SBA preferred lender. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a lot, but when you look at the whole country, there's only 2,000 banks in the country that qualify, and the banks have to opt in to actually participate in the program. So there's relief out there, but then you have to determine, okay, who's a local provider or partner that I might have that can help me with this? And, you know, so it's a moving target, unfortunately. But, you know, I think as people continue to do the analysis of what the relief entails, how it might apply to them, 
which is still ongoing. And then you have to determine, okay, like who can I actually work with to actually do this and potentially apply for some of these things. Clearly, many labs hopefully had a good relationship with the local banker. If they haven't already, which I'm assuming they have, have conversations with their bank, talk about are they qualified for these new relief packages? And even if they're qualified, are they going to participate? And if not, then they've got to look again with qualified partners to be able to look at some of those things. So that's a big issue, I think, clearly, you know, for people to look at. I would say over the course of the week, if we go back to March 16th, you know, a lot of labs just went ahead and kind of made decisions just assuming the worst, which probably, quite frankly, is probably what is occurring and and went ahead and did furloughs or some layoffs, Mm -hmm. you know, starting on March 16th. Yeah. Clearly, as the week progressed, more and more labs made those decisions because talking with some of the banks, even late yesterday, some of the banks, even big banks, you know, we're talking about, you know, Bank of America, SunTrust, Wells Fargo, even those are saying it could be two to three weeks before some of these banks will actually even take applicants for some of these new relief loans that are available. So time is our enemy and friend, depending on how you look at it, but it's it certainly everybody needs money now. And this waiting game is, is making it very difficult. So it's um, people having to kind of make daily decisions based on what's available and then kind of look at what their long-term objectives are and then kind of work back from that. So we're just trying to help people kind of go through that decision-making process and then based on whatever their objectives are, say, okay, who are the good partners that can help you? And in many cases, it's not like this one partner is right for everybody because that's not usually the case. And so we kind of at least try to help them identify, okay, who locally, when I say locally in your city, in your state, might also be a local resource, even post pandemic as it relates to the stay-at-home orders and essential versus non-essential work, that kind of thing. This is going to be a long haul relative to some of this in the sense that some of these loans, the way they're constructed, if people utilize them, have a 10-year payback period. So these people that you make decisions to partner with to help provide some of this relief They're going to be with you a while. That's important to note as well. How are you doing in your office, if you don't mind me adding um, that in? Sure. I guess I'd say about 10 days ago, Florida at this stage, there's been certain county. Well, I'd say this, Florida as a state doesn't stay at home yet. That could come. So each county and some cities have made their own guidance. And so we were about a week ahead of our local guidance there's not a closure of businesses, if you will. All businesses actually in our county can stay open, but clearly social distancing is recommended. And so we started that about 10 days ago where 50% of the staff are in the office on one day and the other 50% are working remote. And then we switch so that yeah. you know, every other day, somebody's able to come in and be there in the office if they choose to do so. And you know, we've worked just like everybody else. If there's people who aren't comfortable coming in. You know, we made those accommodations for them to continue to work remote. We've had myself included. I self-quarantined. I actually haven't been to the office in 14 days. I've got a couple more days before that goes out. And then I've, we've got one other person that had to self-quarantine because of a spouse. So she'll be able to return to work on April 1st. So we have not had to do, uh, you know, any workforce reductions at this stage, but uh, based on the nature of the work we do, but, you know, which is in some respects been good because then that's allowed us to be as much accessible as much as possible to uh, 
the laboratory community, uh, you know, with calls and emails and social media messaging with people reaching out to help get some guidance and, you know, links to resources and stuff. So like that's been good just in that sense that we've been accessible and haven't had to have any interruption in our ability to help people or at least direct them to the right places. It's a scary time out there. What about resources for dental lab technicians rather than just dental labs? What about the technicians that are out of work and looking for support? Sure, absolutely. I mean, we've definitely had calls from non-owners and managers. So we obviously, you know, NBC obviously you know, has CDT constituency and we have a technician membership category for NADL as well. So I'd say the lion's share of, of inquiries have been from owner managers, but we certainly have had non-owner managers, meaning, you know, technician employees or administrative personnel. So again, we're there to help them. And, you know, in many cases, it's, you know, it's just really, if they haven't gotten information already from their employers, we obviously try not to get in between employer-employee processes for obvious reasons. But what we can do is make sure that they have full understanding of the local, when I say local in this sense, usually state resources that are available. Each state, again, has different processes and programs, some of which have been created in the last two weeks, you know, for some emergency elements. And so outside of traditional unemployment insurance, which is state administered, you know, there are some, especially for groups that, you know, have furloughs, there's some states that have what's called a reemployment assistance program, which is a little bit different from unemployment assistance. We tried to, again, direct them to the right state agencies that can help them if they've got some key questions based on either what's already occurred or what their employers have indicated probably will happen in the next week or two based on business conditions so that they have been able to do a little bit of homework and due diligence before that might actually occur. So that's been good too, in the sense that we've been able to help administrative and technician personnel as well. And I would say this, I I think based on, except maybe for a couple of examples, we um, have seen that most laboratories, if they've had to make decisions already in terms of layoffs or furloughs, have communicated that in a very effective manner in terms of the why behind it and then what they're doing over the course of the future. And so I think that's a good sign in the sense that in the midst of all of this chaos, people are trying to provide as much clear documentation as they can and detail to give clarity and which is really difficult given this situation. So that's been good to see, you know, and and again, I think, you know, if we look at trying to make positives out of a, you know, very difficult situation, three of us clearly and others have seen just the great stories from laboratory with 3D printers that have gotten involved with doing PPE for the healthcare supply chain and it's great to see that in spite of people trying to keep their own doors open, they're saying, hey, we've got technology that can help. Let's do it. And that's a true testament to just the ingenuity and, you know, just the, the passion that our market and our profession has for healthcare in general. And again, helping the patient. We're just obviously helping a different different type of patient in, in this kind of situation. But again, people have really stepped up and that's been nice to see. Yeah, I, um, we had the video from Carbon, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, explaining how to do the face masks and how to do the, I believe, the testing. What, what was it called? A swab? Yeah. Um, how to print all of that. And then, you know, once you do it, where do you go? How do you do it? So I think they were super fast in talking about that. I saw a Facebook post with Reed Nunnally, Alexander Wunsha. Is that how you pronounce it, guys? Yes, Wunsha? yes. Uh, yeah, close enough. Yeah, he and his <laughs> wife, um, you know, I saw that they were doing it as well. And Knight's probably going to start doing that next week. So, yeah, I, 
agree with you. Anything we can do. Yep. Hard times. And again, just looking at kind of the trajectory. And again, it's state specific where there's been higher case concentration of people that are testing positive than Obviously, that affects what's occurring in that area, even more what I call rural areas. Um, when I say rural or you know less population going out in the, the West, in certain parts of the Midwest, by the tail end of the week, meaning yesterday, people had work in progress or a few things coming in. But now it's, it's not scientific, but you know probably are people that are at about 20 percent of normal production as of yesterday. And then, you know, maybe going yep. into, like you said, Elvis, going into Monday or Tuesday of next week, it's going to be a zero or a very slow trickle, if any. Yeah. Last week, NADL put on a great webinar about dental labs and how they can utilize resources to help with all what's going on. But you have one coming up this week that's all about infectious control with the good people at SafeLink. Right. Yeah. And we were real pleased that they were willing to do it. So they've always obviously been a great partner with us in, in, the, in the marketplace as well. But, you know, where last week was what I call more I don't want to say generic, but it was more comprehensive in nature, just as kind of an overview of, you know, what was occurring. And, and again, this was on Wednesday, which was pre the third relief package, if you will, in terms of what was coming with that. But for next week's webinar, it's going to focus on kind of, you know, obviously there's not really much work coming in right now, clearly. But a lot of what we want to talk about is that Gary and Mary are going to address is like, okay, what happens when we're back up and running, even if there's an all clear, quote unquote, we probably need to look at things differently, especially for delivery drivers and certainly just, again, clear reminders of the importance of proper infection control and any additional protocols that need to be taken into consideration going forward. And again, even discussion related to chairside services, that's a niche for a lot of labs in a good way. And, you know, when that work starts to pick back up again in terms of you know, from a health and safety component, again, what are some things that, you know, if you weren't doing it already, what do you need to do? And so that's really what they're going to focus on next week. And that's important for people. Yesterday, CDC did post on their website some additional protocols specifically related to the dental setting on COVID, which were not there before. So we'll address part of that during the webinar next Wednesday as well. The webinar that we conducted last week is on our NADL.org news page, so people can sign up on our learner community and listen to that one um, free of charge. So all of these are free of charge. Members, non-members, doesn't matter. We've expanded capacity so we can take up to 500 registrants for these webinars, and our goal is to make sure as many people who want to gain access to this kind of information that, that we have the ability to deliver it to them. Thank God for that. Labs have always had great disinfecting protocols, but I can only imagine what's going to be new after all this. Yeah, we've all been in labs. I mean, we've seen people who do it really well. We see people who do it really well on certain days. <laughs> you know, it's um, this is probably not the time to be inconsistent. So these protocols are there for a reason and for a really good reason, clearly, given current circumstances. So, you know, just making sure that people have a clear understanding of what needs to be done and how to do it and how to stick with it. I think we all get complacent, you know, on a lot of different things in life. And we all have the same human nature. We say, oh, this is not going to happen to us or it's not going to affect yeah. us. I think we've all learned like, eh, that's not really probably the case anymore. That's not the world we live in anymore. Definitely not. Yeah, it's a very uh, profound statement. It really isn't. So early on, I was just looking around going, this isn't going to affect us. We're all going to be good. I have an optimistic attitude. And now <laughs> after yesterday, 
furloughing uh, the whole company after, you know, 35 plus years. I'm kind of super sad today. So yeah, I agree. And I, I thank God you guys are here. And I thank God for this podcast, Elvis, um, getting all this information out to everybody so they can kind of plug in and see what they need to do. And I'm very grateful for the for the things I can be grateful for. So sure, we appreciate it. I, I would say this, you know, obviously, you know, like you said, there's there's several vendor partners out there in the market that are providing special programs for labs to work with them collaboratively to again help the supply chain on PPE. So, you know, I just encourage people if they have ability, if you will, to get involved in some of those efforts. Look at that, and everybody in society can help in certain ways. And you know, we may not be able to help, you know, obviously with clearly financial contributions right now, but if we can use our technology and put that to good use, that's a societal benefit. So that's that's good. Now just going back on what we talked about last week in terms of the foundation. You know, the foundation obviously has opened up its learning library through end of May. If people are furloughed and technically not laid off, but just uh, obviously don't have production work to do, you know, if they're trying to hone up on their skills or learn new techniques or processes. There's suppliers have done that. Foundations has done that. So uh, there's a lot of online education. I would say this just as a footnote, it'll be interesting to see six to eight months from now when the meetings, whenever that timetable is where meetings can be held as it relates to 50 or more people, you know, will we see kind of a, almost a resurgence of the in-person meeting because people just may be clamoring for that. So it'll be interesting to see when we get to the end of summer and the fall, fingers crossed, yeah. you know, that we're in a good posture to have those things occur. What yeah. things look like into this year and certainly going into the first quarter next year. It's difficult to kind of ponder what the future looks like because we don't know. I think we'll, we'll every week, every day we learn something new. And, you know, if this is kind of like the flu in the sense that it's seasonal, what does that look like for first quarter 2021? Hopefully, uh, you know, all the, the healthcare supply chains determine what to do to mitigate what we've, we're seeing now, or at least certainly not have a repeat performance. But I think all we can do is look for the positive and, um, you know, know that all pretty much all of this is out of our control and do the best you can with the environment we're living in. I know I'm jonesing for a live dental laboratory conference. I mean, we're supposed to be in Texas right now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. You know, we appreciate your insight and being able to share everything through the podcast and everything else you guys are doing at the NADL. We know super stressful times, but like Elvis, this is his brainchild once again. Yeah. You know, we're on a Saturday. We're all hanging out at home, but at least we get to um, do the podcast and get some of this out into the world. So thank you. We can make a joke out of it. It's not really funny, but you guys were the precursor to uh, social distancing. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my bathing suit on, guys. After this, I'm going outside all by myself, and I'm going to lay out in the sun and just chill. Yeah. Sorry, Elvis. You're still in Indiana. Yeah, it's raining. so It's cold there. <laughs> yeah. Elvis, it's 84 degrees right now, but but you can't go to the beach, so, uh, you know, oh, well. I know. Yeah. The public beaches are closed, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we appreciate well, you. it, as always, Bennett. All right. Thanks for keeping the communication channels flowing. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. Stay safe. Right, bye-bye. So thank you for all you're doing and updating us, Bennett. We appreciate your candor and everything that you've got to teach us and everybody else that's listening. Please know 
note that any links Bennett mentions we have listed on the show notes of this episode. Also, make sure to follow the National Association of Dental Laboratories Facebook page for the most up-to-date information. And trust me, they're really trying hard. They're probably working from home, but they're trying to update us, let us know what's going on, who to contact. I know they're taking a ton of phone calls. So thank you, guys. We appreciate you. Yeah, and this information's not just for NADL members. Anybody with a lab or in a lab should know this stuff. It's important to keep informed. Yeah. And because Barb and I feel that it's important to have some sense of normalcy, (laughs) we will continue with our regularly scheduled episode. Back when the world could still travel, Barb and I went to the Voices of Dentistry in Arizona, thanks to the good people at Kettenbach, to talk to some dentists and vendors that usually work with dental practices, but also provide some insight that a dental lab might find interesting. First up, we talked to the very first guest we got to talk to at Voices of Dentistry, Dr. Brad Madison from Wellesley, Massachusetts. He talks about why he came to Voices of Dentistry and his experiences with all the labs that he uses. So we always like to hear from a dentist's perspective. Yeah, man. Especially now, I should say. Yeah, it's going to be relevant to us in coming months. Mm -hmm. Then we talked to a really interesting company that's all about the light curing units and doctor's offices. Chris Felix from Blue Light Analytics talks about how we should be asking about the doctor's light curing unit before we remake any crown that won't stay on. Do you know, Elvis, that after we talked to him... I actually called the lab and said, hey, guys, if you have any questions on something debonding, you need to make sure that you're letting the dentist know they need to check their light. So that was super great material. Good stuff. Never even thought of it. Mm-hmm. Then, because so many of us wear loops at the bench, we talked to Kristen Jensen from Innova Illumination about the importance of good loops and loops with lights. Great stuff from a much safer world pre-COVID-19. So join us from the Voices of Dentistry Summit, thanks to our good friends at Kettenbach. Have you tried Whitmix's Vericore ZR Pro Zirconia Discs yet? They not only produce very natural-looking crowns and bridges, but they are very strong at 1,140 megapaxels. When it comes to zirconia used in dentistry, high strength and excellent aesthetics is the end game. Veracore ZR Pro is available in three varieties. Unshaded for those who prefer to design their own shading scheme. Pre-shaded in all 16 Avita Classic shades plus a bleach for those who want accurate shade reproduction without having to use liquid colorants before centering. And finally, a multi-layered version. ZR Pro ML, which results in a natural color transition from cervical through incisal areas. Whitmix's top-of-the-line zirconia provides you with an ideal level of both value and chroma, which translates into desirable aesthetics that closely mimic that of natural dentition. So if you want to give your dentist something that is sure to win praise, send them your beautiful zirconia restoration made from Whitmix's Vericor ZR Pro. You can purchase the 98mm discs from your dealer or order directly online from shop.witmix.com. Voices from the Bench The Interview 
You're the best. You see? Oh, good. We've got see, this is why I bring her five. along. She's good All at right. getting people to do things. Yeah. I just bat my eyelashes and say, can you please? <laughs> so here we are at Voices of Dentistry. And we finally have our first sit-down interview. No pressure. Yeah, no, no pressure. No, this Do- is great. Dr. Bradford Madsen? Yeah, Madison. Madison. Yeah, Madison. You, you just call me Brad. That's Brad. Fine. Do you go yeah. by Dr. Brad? I just go by Brad. I just really? Do you Brad, not, yeah. like, go um, with the doctor pretext? No, I don't know. I just never I, I never really got into that. I like to have a personal relationship, yeah. with, especially with patients. I just Sure. Yeah, I have a very small practice outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Okay, what's Wait, the so, town? Is it still uh, it's Boston? Called, no, it's it's called Wellesley. It's uh, Wellesley. about two Sounds towns outside East the city. Coast. Yeah, Wellesley. yeah, it's very it's very snooty. You might have heard of Wellesley Colleges there. So. Yes, actually, yeah. I have. So yeah. you're on the East Coast. So mm-hmm. number one, how did you learn about Voices of Dentistry? And number two, obviously you love podcasts. So how did yeah. you get into that? Yeah, I've been listening to podcasts for a long time. Actually, I was I, I did have a podcast a long time ago when I was uh, probably in my teens, actually. Really? Yeah, it was a long time ago. I did. Um, did you have to mail the cassette? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> I I ran He's with my not friend. Not that old. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, I ran I ran a podcast with my friend about like technology and what was going on um, with technology. But back then, you know, the podcast app had just come out. Sure. Yeah. So no one really listened to it at all. But yeah, it was pretty fun. It was called Tech Night Radio, and it was Sweet. off of a website that we had called. Um, the different district podcast which was all about like what was going on with apple computers and things like that really so So technology so you were an early adapter yeah i was yeah our our early claim to fame was that we got a cease and desist from apple because we hosted all the commercials that apple had because there's no there's no youtube or anything yeah so we had everything online and uh you still have that letter uh, I think my friend who I that's who pretty I cool pod- though yeah yeah it was pretty cool claim to fame had to take everything off otherwise they're going to sue us but yeah yeah so that's my experience with podcasts in terms of dental podcasts I just started listening to them you know when I was in when I was in my associateship I felt kind of insular and like I didn't have a lot of people to talk sure. to about podcasts so I got into podcasts a way to see what else was going on out there um, I didn't have the best associateship experience so. I wanted to make sure that, like, the things I was feeling were, like, happening to other people. So podcasts were a window into the rest of the dental world. Sure. Absolutely. So, yeah. That's I why love I that explanation. That's yeah. great. So what about Voices of Dentistry? Um, actually, you know, I was looking at microscopes, and somebody gave me Alan Mead's information. And so I talk with Alan Who's all like the Mr. time. like Mr. Microscope. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. Microscope, exactly. Yeah. So I talk with Alan a lot about microscopes. I'm thinking about buying a microscope this year so that's how i got involved and he texted me and said you should really come this year we'd love to have you yeah. so yeah so i came down and i go to spear a lot which is in scottsdale sure. so good familiar with you part of a, yeah. part of a spear study group in your area or i am i'm actually part of two um i don't make Over it to all the meetings <laughs> i don't i don't make <laughs> it to all the meetings <laughs> most but, uh, don't yeah, yeah i know i know it is fun though it's it's a good thing and it's it's a good way to get on the same page as everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even as a lab, I You're love in Spear. It, right? yeah. We there's three of us at our lab that participate in nine different Spear study clubs wow. in our area. That's great. I love them. I yeah. love them. Overachiever too, Elvis. Yeah. Well, I'm surrounded by them. <laughs> yeah. We're all here to make you look bad. 
So um, <laughs> the uh, last speaker was talking about printers and designers. Do you have any of that technology? Sure. Are you looking into the, any of yeah. that? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm always, like, trying to get into the next thing. I do have a 3D printer. I have that cheap one he was talking about. And yeah. he's right. It doesn't work very well. <laughs> The one he called Jesus or the other one? No, not the Jesus. The Jesus one is, hasn't come out, I guess. Okay. So, But, um, no, it's a, it's a, I think when I bought it, it was $400. I guess now oh, it's that's $260. That's insane. It's great, but the amount of time you spend trying to get it to work properly yeah. and there's failed prints and for, things. What do you use it for, I do some, um, I, get, I can't call it Invisalign, but Invisalign, Clearliner okay. stuff with it. And right. um, for small cases where... It's manageable to print and do the lab work. It's been great because sometimes the Invisalign cost can be quite high. So yeah, yeah. I've been doing that, and I have a small office, so I have a little bit of extra time here and there. It's not like I'm strung out doing crowns sure, all day. Yeah. So I do quite a bit of my own lab work. So yeah, cool. it's been fun. It's yeah. it's been an interesting experience. You learn more about the process. Like I said, I try and do a lot of my lab work, and so. Not in terms of making crowns and things, but I mm-hmm. pour models. If I'm doing it, if I'm not doing it digital, I'll ditch dyes and things like that. So it do just you helps enjoy me. it. I do. Yeah. yeah, I think it helps me become, become a better dentist because I'm I seeing things, yeah. especially analog wise. Digital, of course, you pull something you up on the it. screen yeah. and you're like, "Ooh, that prep could be a little better there," and maybe yeah. I should go in and adjust this. But then when you're pouring models too, it's the same thing. When you're working with you it, you see it a lot more in the model than you, you do in the impression. Yeah, oh, for yes. sure, for sure. When you can see, oh god, I didn't leave them a whole lot of clearance there. I'm yep. gonna get something back. It just that rattles around in your head more when you're in the mouth doing work. You're like, oh, the technician, I got to help him out here or, or or something like that. So I hated lab work in dental school, and then when I realized that it had a direct impact on what the outcomes of my cases and knowing at least how to do it yeah maybe i don't have to do it every time that really made me think it was worth it to understand it better yeah so how many labs do you utilize with your practice now i use two primarily um i use one that has a very fast turnaround time they're kind of just milling staining glazing polishing and then i have one that does a little bit more and then i have actually i have three i guess yeah i have a guy down the street that does aesthetics and uh he actually comes for my inserts which is great He'll bring his ovens. You can. Oh, he does it all. I do that too. Just saying. Do you? Yes. Nice. Yes. I have a couple doctors that I'll come over and. It's. I mean, it's an incomparable service. His name is uh, Aki Yoshida. Uh, He he does a lot of lecturing. He's right down the street. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so you probably pay a fair amount for those restorations. Those I do. Those I do. Excellent. And. I can only really do that, obviously, fee for service. Fee for service, yeah. His, honestly, his lab fee is higher than my crown fee sometimes, so I have to pass that on to the Single patient. Single central. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you pay for it four times, you're going to do it four times, so you exactly. might as well charge 1500 yep. That'd be nice, but mm-hmm. interesting. How did you find the labs that you use? Was it someone came in and sold to you? I'm trying to get your no, perspective no. of... Um, I had do. a I had a dental professor who actually bought a practice the same time I bought a practice, uh-huh. and he's a prosthodontist actually. And he said, "You know, you should talk to Bob." So I went and visited the lab. The owner's name is Bob. I think they have probably like ten people working for mm-hmm. them. And it's a full service lab. They don't do removable, but it's full service uh, fixed pros lab. And I like their systems. I like the people that were there. They explained to me the whole process. I have Bob's cell phone number, so I just text him whenever yeah. I want to. So that yeah. that kind of thing is important to me. Another consideration that was important was that 
the people doing the work I could actually get in contact with, not just Bob, because he's not going to do every single thing that I send them, but being able to text somebody and say, ah, you know, do we think we can change this, or Mm -hmm. is there something we could do here, or, you know, here's some pictures of a case I'm thinking about doing, what are your thoughts? So contact was big for me. Sure, communication. I'd say say 80% of my cases are with that lab because of the communication. Wow. Yeah. Not even price. Um. No, not not really yeah. price. When I bought my practice, the person I bought from was using a single lab technician, and it was just a guy, and he'd worked with him for 30 years. And he In did, the office? No, no. He, was no. he, and he only had a few people that he worked with. He was actually, I think he was working out of his garage or something. Yeah. He only made PFMs. Yep. Sure. <laughs> you know, he was doing, like, I think he only did base metal, and he would just stamp out the margins so that they're super thin yep. and nice. And he just said, I don't want to work with anyone. His name is Bernard. I don't want to work with anyone other than Bernard. Bernard moved to Belgium for a while. He was shipping his cases to Belgium. Wow. So. wow. And it's interesting because when I bought my practice, Bernard was a bit of a celebrity in my practice. Like, people said, oh, that's a Bernard crown in my mouth. <laughs> and so, like, they'd say, oh, this guy is supposed to be the best. So actually, Not a lot of technicians can say that patients know their name. That's cool. For sure, yeah. <laughs> but he, the guy that I bought from really respected his lab technician and made him, like, kind of one of the centerpieces of the practice. So awesome. That's cool. Pretty cool, yeah. yeah. So then here you are. You take over the practice. Bernard's, Bernard retires. Bernard's, Bernard yeah. retires with uh, Doug, the guy I bought my practice from. He retired, yeah. and he was his last client. And Bernard's. Really? In his 70s, so he said, no, I'm, I'm selling all my stuff. I'm done. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I had to find somebody else. So what about removable? Do you do a lot of removable work? I don't. Okay. Um, yeah. Just where I am, most most people have all of their teeth. Sure. It's a younger area. It's, yeah, it's it's a affluent area. The little I do, I send to one lab, and they do okay. Local? Um, yeah, local. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it's just a small lab. I know the technician, and it works out fine. Honestly, most of the removal I do is interim. It's to get somebody to something that's not yeah. removable, yeah. naturally. Yep. It's not something I enjoy doing a whole lot, so honestly, I price myself out of the market a lot. Smart. Um, yep. People laugh when I tell them my denture fees, but <laughs> I'm just like, well, <laughs> some people pay it, and I'm happy to do it for that yeah. amount, but... It's a lot of adjustments, and I'm not the type of person that can be, like, you know, really... I'm not going to charge for, like, adjustments and stuff. I just don't have the heart to do that. So I have to set my price high. Otherwise, I'll just be doing adjustments. All the time. All the time. All the time. So So what do you like best, uh, what you do? What do I like best in general? Yeah. Oh, um, I like... I do like more complex dentistry. I think it's a little more interesting uh, trying to solve a problem. In terms of, does somebody have? Do I have to restore somebody's bite? Do I have to figure out a way to phase treatment so that they can afford it over a period of time? I you think sound like more. a spear guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I do do. I do yeah. do some spear stuff. Yeah, um, phase treatment. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's hard. I mean people can't walk into my office and do a fifty thousand dollars treatment plan, and I'm in one of the most wealthy towns in Massachusetts. Really? So, so unless you have a reputation like Frank Spear or somebody like that, where people are flying in to see you. You have to make it attainable for people. So that, that's been a challenge. And, and I work a lot with composite to, to get people there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll do rehabs with partial composite. I'll do the posteriors and porcelain. And then yep. we're going to wait on the interiors and, you know, things like that. 
So that works. I, I like that. It's, it's a little more entertaining than the single yeah. unit, probably. Sure, something that awesome. progressively gets better as you, as you see the patients, probably quite rewarding. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And and another thing about buying practice is Dr. Vassis, the guy I bought it from, he did things one way for 40 years. <laughs> and, yeah. and he did it really well. He's yeah. one of the most unbelievable dentists I've ever seen. He just has incredible attention to detail. But he didn't have ideas that were different. He didn't, he didn't ever say to patients like, you know, okay, we've been together 20 years or so or whatever it is, and now your mouth is deteriorating. Yeah. We need a bigger, more global plan. And it can be hard with some patients. Some patients don't want to hear that, of course. But there are a lot of patients who are like, I didn't know. I thought I was just doomed to this. And sure. so they get excited about treatment. So How long ago did you buy the practice? I bought the practice three years ago. So um, probably a lot of these patients, you're still new to them. Yeah. Are you finding things that the old doctor never found but or didn't mention, and now all of a sudden they're like, yeah, but my, the old dentist never said anything. That's got to uh, be a hard he, thing to deal he with. He treated pretty, I, I wouldn't say comprehensively, okay. but he, he got most of what he needed to do done. Yeah. I wouldn't say there's huge oversights. Sure. Um, you always hear those horror stories. No, it, it's not a practice like that. Probably from a business standpoint, that's not necessarily a good thing because <laughs> I don't have a lot to fix. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, he, he does he does still practices with me one day a week. Does he, he does a lot oh, of gold crowns. Nice. He still does PFMs. Yeah. And he's doing it his way, and I'm yeah. fine with that because I know that's what he's comfortable with and what he can do. And he's still passionate about it and wants yes. to go. So yeah. that's yeah. kind of cool. And you're scanning, right? I do scan. I haven't been able to, to get him to I was give, ask, that, yeah. give that Probably a shot. Probably not. He does yeah. uh, feather edge margins, and oh, so yeah. he... I can't really get can't away from metal yep. ceramics. What standard so. you go with? I have the Medit. Oh, do you? Yeah. You know, I hear nothing but good things about it. We've yet to receive one in the R okay. lab because I think, you know, with Indiana, we're waiting. It all starts on the coast. <laughs> yeah. It comes in. Moves in. And yeah. we get it a little late. It's probably a little better to have, <laughs> to have things yeah. come in a little bit you guys will later. We, we'll work problems. out all the problems. Exactly. Yeah. And then you do, guys you, do you get any from Medit at night? I don't know. Night? You don't actually. know? I got to go check it out. Yeah. It's... What is it? Made in China or Korea? It's made in China. China. Yeah. But yeah. I hear it's just like price point and what it can do is just, it's there. It's been fantastic. That's what I hear. I, awesome. I was in my associateship in a Sarek office, so I was doing all milling. Yeah. So I knew about scanning, and so I did uh, maybe two years of just PVS, Crown and Bridge, and I missed being able to scan. I actually had a patient who wanted to do a lot of reconstruction, but she's a terrible gagger. gagger yeah. I literally could not get an impression trainer mouth. Yeah. I mean... I prep a tooth for 15 seconds, and then I'm done. We, yeah. we have to take a break. Yeah. So I actually bought it to treat her, which is kind Just, of a funny yeah, thing. Because it's funny. These patients that come to you, they're like, I actually have the money to do this treatment. I want to do it. Yeah. But I have this thing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I bought it for that. And then, I mean, it's been great. I think that the difference for me with digital dentistry has been not as many adjustments. Yeah. Crowns drop in for the most part. It's been great. Patients love it. Patients love seeing what you've done on the screen. They just think yeah. it's like the most. I'm like, well, it's been around for 30 years. Yeah, but, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but to you, it's cool. Do you have any desire to go back to milling your own crowns? Do you miss that? Oh, God. Uh, really? Oh, yeah. I'm asking yeah. the deep, hard questions yeah. here. You're talking to labs here. So. Well, yeah. I, I like I like lab work, but that's not really lab work. So, yeah. I mean, I guess staining and glazing, if you really want to call yeah. it that. Not really. I did have a brief moment where I thought I was going to actually buy a uh, like a, a press furnace and learn how to actually press ceramics. Wow. But 
talked yourself off that cliff. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I would, I would enjoy it. I think it's just that every lab doesn't want to press anymore. I know, I know. No, well, it, exactly. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a cool artistic thing to do. Yeah, very. Um, but yeah, it's probably not practical. It's probably not where the world is going. So sure. I, I like you said, I talked myself off that yeah. cliff. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> well, right, what in your in your labs are you? What percentage of things are you milling? That's is it mostly milling? Or? We're yeah. mostly milling. Yeah. yeah. I mean, still a lot with our lab. It's we probably eighty percent of zirconia. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is just what we do mostly for single restorations and bridges. Okay. We still see a lot of full cast, a mm-hmm. lot of PFM. Really? Again, it's the Indiana thing. Wow. I mean, I bet you we do seven full cast a day. Wow. Which is a lot. We don't nowadays. Do any. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we don't cast anymore. Right. Those are milled. Yeah. They're milled. Our PFMs right. are laser centered with Argon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. We do seventy uh, percent scanning, probably thirty percent traditional impressions, and we do mostly zirconia. Okay. A lot of Emacs, a lot of smile design. Yeah, but those Emacs, you're milling, right? <laughs> you're milling, yeah. yeah. But we press veneers still, believe it or not. Sure. Well, yeah. it's hard to mill we them. Seal yeah. Yeah. We yeah. seal yeah. them. When you get and down to a couple them, tenths of a millimeter. It. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you don't have the burrs for it. Sure. So I just never could find the sweet spot to be able to mill veneers. Yeah, you had to use really a brand well, new burr really every time. Every time. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I love them both. Well, awesome. You know? Well, you ca- you stop by our booth because we happen to have Kettenbach yep. bike yeah. material sitting here, which looks like uh, the little worms you used to go fishing with as a kid. Pink, green, and white. Yeah, so I use the green. You use the green. green. Can yep. you explain to me what the difference is between the green and the red? The guy that Probably dropped it off. I don't. Thing. I don't remember anymore, but I do yeah. know that they have one that there's like a grid of like different characteristics. Yeah. One is. One is hard set, one is not quite as hard, and then there's fat. Fast. There's different speeds. Oh, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. so the green the us. green works the best for me. The reason I like it is because it's it's like there's when you put the models together, there's no squish. Yep. It is. It's hard. Yeah. It's yeah. Hard if you trim out. it right and you take kind of the detail and just get your cuss tips, then, uh, yeah, it, it, it squishes nicely. And it doesn't slump on the teeth. Some of them are, I mean, some materials are terrible yeah those. <laughs> especially the ones cool. coming nice. from those big box companies yeah kettenbox actually sponsoring us and you oh, actually great. use their material so thank you for and uh, i use their it. i use their um hybrid polyether vps material what is it called um Pan- panacea no not no uh, the other one uh that's purple. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I had to read their ad so much i can't remember it's great it's material purple. it's great material i get nice uh Nice extension beyond the margins, which awesome. I like. Yeah. Well, thank you for the plug. We appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for stopping by. Yeah, of course. Appreciate it. Was it. Meeting. Thanks for being yeah. our first. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. You nice to meet first. you. Nice to meet you. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Voices of Dentistry. Second day. We made it through day one, and here we are, day two. An interesting gentleman came up to me this morning, Chris Felix from Blue Light analytics that's correct sounds good so you came up to me and you started talking about light cure mm-hmm. yes sir but you had a nice spin on it that's right for, so, uh, for the dental labs yeah it's, uh, it's important in in every aspect of dentistry and uh, again it's one of those uh, things that seems to fall through the cracks of anybody kind of you know making sure these things are actually working yeah so i mean we make a crown the dentist seats it hey it keeps popping off so what do we do barb when that happens, I guess we'll make we it again. Send it back, re-etch it if it's Emacs, sandblast it, do, do it again. Do everything we can. Yep. <laughs> Chris here says, it might be the recurring light. 
Yes. So the light's not 100%? Well, this is just it. Uh, at Blue Light Analytics, uh, we have different products and services where uh, we've tested over 100,000 lights in the market. And one in four are not functioning properly. Interesting. And so uh, this can affect the... Um, the curing times used with the different light cured materials. So, of course, you know, it's very obvious for, for restorative, but uh, certainly for indirect restorative and also for, uh, you know, cementing crowns or veneers, the lights need to work as well. And it also depends on what material they're using. There's a wide range of, of cements, so for cementing a crown, uh, a lot of people think you can get the blue light through the crown, but it's actually not enough. It's so uh, uh, thick in the ceramic that you can't get light through. So mm-hmm. when you're cementing a crown, normally the process is you tack around the margins to get it to hold in place. But I, myself as a chemist, uh, my wife and my brother are, are both dentists. Not all dentists are aware of the chemistry in these materials. So with most dual cure cements means that you can you know tack that crown in place, but most cements, when we looked at how long it takes for them to set, it can be between 8 and 24 hours. Mm. So if clinicians aren't letting the patients know that, okay, well, don't go out and have a big steak or go chew on something that's yeah. really hard, because you could dislodge it slightly, and of course this can cause a failure. Now, when you're tacking it all around the margins, it's really important that the light is working and they go all around, and that will hold it in place. But certainly uh, it will not permanently be held in place until 8 to 24 hours later. So certainly, uh, you know, making sure the, the clinician's lights are working and that they understand how their cements work so that they're providing this information to their patients is a huge benefit to, to the lab. And so with a number of labs that I've talked to, you know, they, they're not thinking, okay, well, is light curing important? You know, certainly when you look at some of the different practices, you might see some practices that have a higher incidence of failure. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you troubleshoot this? And so certainly uh, where we do have uh, some great customers, one of our great customers here uh, is 3M, uh, 3M Oral Care. They provide a, a complimentary service where they can come in and test their lights with one of our products called Checkmark. Mm-hmm. And so Checkmark, they'll come in, they'll, they'll test the lights, they'll look at the materials that they're using as well. So again, it's not just the light, it's the light and material uh, together to make this process work. And so, of course, 3M is very much uh, into education to make sure that, you know, they're using the materials properly. You know, all those, the, the fine print and the instructions for use that a lot of people like to throw Not in the bin. Read. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's an ongoing joke, but I mean, when you're looking uh, from the point of view of a dental lab and you're trying to figure out, okay, well, why are we seeing an increased number of failures for this particular office? And so trying to have a way to troubleshoot this to figure out so that you don't have to redo that crown for them. Uh, you know, without, uh, you know, charging, it's, it's a huge uh, expense for the dental labs. And so it's, it's a win-win situation when you can identify where there's an issue, you can help troubleshoot, you know, the clinician figures out where the issue is, so it makes their patient happy. Yeah. The lab figures out, okay, well, now we don't have to redo as many, yeah. you know, which the lab is happy, and uh, it, it's, it, it's no cost. Win-win so, to everybody. It's a, it's a win-win for everyone. So really, the curing light just seems to be this, this piece of equipment that doesn't get a lot of uh, you know, attention. It's not as sexy as maybe as some of the other sure. <laughs> uh, uh, pieces of equipment in the dental office. But next to the handpiece, the curing light is what's used for many different procedures. Oh, and sure. so yeah. making sure that it's working, uh, and especially for labs, uh, you know, it, it's the same. It's, uh, it's, it's, it, it all needs to be working for these procedures to work out. So I have a question. So with zirconia coming on the market and it being so dense and opaque, 
have the lights been able to penetrate that? Do they need to buy a, a higher light level? Or I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but w- what has that done to change the market? You're absolutely correct. It really does depend on the thickness and the opacity. So, you know, if you're at some of the thinner margins, yes, some of the light can get through, but usually it's just attack it and hold it in place. Mm. But for the next four to eight hours, really, you have to use a dual cure it's cement. It's cure by you itself. Know, it really in. needs to, to, to have that time to set the, the, the chemistry in, in the chemical cure it's called it just takes time and uh, you know uh, a lot of clinicians are not really aware how much time this takes so as a chemist myself uh, when I studied some of the different cements from some of the, the the big manufacturers we found that some could set really quickly in eight hours but the way the the polymer chemistry works is that if you have something that sets really quickly the bond isn't as strong you have something that takes a little bit more time to set, the bond really sets really that well. That makes sense, yeah. And so, but clinicians are, are just not aware of, of this. And so, again, it's part of the process of, you know, for a lab to troubleshoot, okay, you know, are the lights working? Okay, well, get the lights tested and we'll check that. Okay, well, what, what materials are you using for, for cementing? Yeah. It's, it's, it's in some cases, uh, you know, there's some cements that have a base and a catalyst. So the catalyst is the chemical cure and the base can be light cure. Like uh, Ivoclar Variolink is a very oh, popular yeah. cement. I like that one. Now, some people forget that they need to mix this together and they may only use one component. And so if you're cementing a veneer, of course, light can get through a, a thinner a thinner sure. veneer. Now, yeah. of course... You know, uh, you know, for other, um, you know, indirect restorations and, and certainly for uh, crowns, the light isn't going isn't to get through enough. So really that instruction from the clinician to the patient to say, you know, for the next, you know, eight hours, maybe 24 hours, you know, just, just, just be easy on your, on your new crown. Sure. And that might, uh, might really give it enough time for it to set solid uh, and, and reduce failures. What makes these lights start to not work is it just usage old age <laughs> very very good question it's a combination of a number of things so first of all there's no light source that's going to last forever even if you buy one of the top lights on the market of course they last a whole lot longer than some of the stuff you you can buy for 20 dollars online on ebay that yeah. stuff is, is just <laughs> stay away from it we've tested a lot of them and uh, they're 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 just garbage really they'll they just cause failure so sure you know i always say a cheap curing light might might be the most expensive thing in office buys because as it breaks down very quickly, yeah. you know, you have failure after failure, yeah. and, and you can ruin your reputation, right? Wow. So, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, a good light needs to be maintained. So cleaning it, uh, you know, some lights have, have tips that can come apart, so you can either autoclave the tip. But sometimes, uh, you know, if you're not taking them apart and cleaning them properly, that can reduce uh, the output. If uh, material is sticking on the tip and, and it's getting all gunked up, if you have cement all stuck on the tip, that's going to limit the sure. amount of light. Makes sense. But still, over time, I mean, I've gone in some offices and saw some real antiques, you know, 20 and 30-year-old curing oh, yeah. lights. And, uh, you know, it's, it's quite amazing. A lot of clinicians think if there's blue light coming out of it, it must be working. But if they've never tested it, you know, periodically, then they really don't know. And, uh, you know, a lot of the instructions for use for these materials require you to test your light so that you can adhere to the instruction. Because a lot of instructions now will say if your light is this output or if it's, you know, higher. How do they test their light if it's old like that? Well, that's just it. Uh, historically, there's been these little dental radiometers they can buy, but they are widely inaccurate. Uh, usually, if a manufacturer sold a light with a meter, that would be good. But if you tried to measure it across a bunch of different lights, uh, it wasn't necessarily uh, accurate. Mm-hmm. Now, certainly, measuring it with anything is better than nothing. 
But uh, now, uh, I mean, Ivoclar has, has a great meter. Uh, but what we have uh, at Blue Light Analytics for dentists is checkup. It's, it's a meter that tests the light, but also you feed all of your materials in there, and it goes to the instructions for use and actually is a curing time calculator. Ah, so, nice. you know, if they're using a cement, you know, they don't need to go to the small print instructions for it's use. They can just yeah. test it, and uh, the application that comes with the hardware uh, gives you your curing time. So they put the cement in the machine? No. Well, well, what they do is, is they test their light, and then in the application, we have all of the instructions for use of the material. So the software says, okay, well, if your light is this high, this is the curing time you need, and then you need to shine that on every single surface to make sure that margin is tacked in around the crown. Yeah. So it, it basically makes them not have to go to the instructions uh, and make sure that based off of the output of their light that they're using the right curing times because... The lights from the past would be uh, 400 or 500 milliwatts per centimeter square, the older halogens. But what's scary now is that some of the newer lights are two and three and 4,000 milliwatts per centimeter squared. And uh, really, the sweet spot is about 1,000 to 1,500 because you've got to be careful with the heat. Uh, so, again, a lot of these curing lights, if, if you want to see how hot they are, put it on the back of your hand and you'll feel a lot of heat. And what would the heat do? The heat will actually damage the tissue. So, uh, you know, let's say if you're cementing in a crown around the margins and that light is overlapping over the the gums or the soft Mm -hmm. tissue, uh, it can actually burn the gums. And in some cases, uh, in some procedures, it can actually damage the pulp, uh, causing uh, the need for a root canal. So, again, as technology has evolved and the intensity of these lights has gone way up, uh, you do you do really now have to be careful. Where in the past you could have the light on the tooth for you know a minute uh, to five minutes and, and there wasn't enough heat, but mm-hmm. now it's uh, things have changed. So you know as um, clinicians look at what to buy, what equipment to buy, you know there need there needs to be some education around the light curing. Uh, and so certainly for dental labs, it's important because, uh, you know, if the lights aren't working, that increases the, the risk that uh, one of the, the procedures might fail. Well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I take a fair amount of calls, you know, through my history of, you know, can you help me this debonded? And I never have suggested checking yeah. the light. Makes sense. But I can tell it? you now I'm going to go back yeah. to the lab and talk to everybody that's yep. talking to clients, especially when exactly. they ask that question, mm-hmm. to check the light. So thank you. And what's nice is that uh, the checkmark service offered through 3M uh, is a complimentary service. So you can suggest to your office, look, you know, they'll come in and test your light maybe once, uh, once a year. They can't go and test your light as frequently as needed. Of course, we also sell a way to test your light you know, every week or every day to make sure that, it, that it's working. Uh, I usually get the question, well, you know, how often should I test my light? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. And, uh, you know, I always say, well, how long do you want to go before identifying a problem? Uh, you <laughs> so know. what is the normal, I mean, what is the normal schedule of testing the lights if, well, if it's I, new? I, w- I would recommend once a week would be wow. really good practice. Okay. Now, it depends on the quality of light that you have. If you have a better quality of light, of course, uh, you know, it's so much more durable as long as you're taking care of it. But, of course, if you're using an infection control barrier on your light, too, that can affect the light. So you do need to be monitoring just to make sure you know what the output is. So just because you have a new light, that's one part of the equation. The other part is reading all those instructions for use of materials Mm -hmm. to know how long to use your light and how to use it safely to not damage any of the soft tissue. So as much as we do sell a light tester, what we sell in our application is a system to manage the light and materials to generate the curing times you need for, let's say, your composites, bonds, cements, you know, posting cores, liners, wow. glass ionomers, yeah. basically, you know, everything that's light cured. And, 
you know, today, uh, you know, how many procedures does a general dentist do that doesn't include a light cured material? And knowing that the light cured material is 100% dependent on the light yeah. uh, is important. I'll say composites, inlays, bonding, all kinds yep. of things, yep. facial veneers. So they test their light. Mm-hmm. They find out, hey, it's not what I need. Mm-hmm. Are they adjustable, calibratable, or is it just like, oh, it's trash, got to get a new one? Well, what's great with uh, the system that we have is that as the light degrades over time. Which is normal. Which is absolutely going to happen. There's no way, shape around it. Every light source uh, eventually will be reduced over time. And at some point, you may need to increase your curing time. So in our application, this is what it does, is as your light, you keep monitoring your light. When it comes down, eventually you'll need to increase your curing time. Once you get to about 400 milliwatts per centimeter squared, that's about to cut off where a lot of that light will not get through even the, the restorative materials. Hmm. So before the light completely stops functioning, that's usually when the light is replaced, is when it goes completely dead. Yeah. Um, but you'd, you would know that, you know, I've seen some lights putting out 50 milliwatts per centimeter squared, and, you know, the, the clinician had no idea, and the increase of failures across all their procedures was significant. I, and, I and, bet. And I the bet. cost <laughs> of that, the cost of that would have bought them, you know, a couple of brand new, you know, top-of-the-line lights. So, again, investing in, in good equipment, uh, you know, good lights and good materials is critical because that increases the success of, of your procedures. And so certainly with the different choices for, for cementing crowns, you know, you want to make sure you are using a good material. Sure. Uh, you don't want to cheap out there because, you know, the cost of that entire procedure is nothing compared to, you know, the one or two dollars worth of cement that goes into it. Yeah. Use a good cement. Use, a, use the best cement that you can find in the market, and that will actually you know, net you, that's a, a better investment mm-hmm. than trying to cheap out on your lights and materials and, and increase the risk of, of failures. So yeah. how do you, how do you yeah. get your name out there? Do you have a, a sales force or do you just attend doctor's meetings? Uh, what, what is? We're a, a fairly small research and development company out of Halifax, Nova Scotia in Canada. Wow, really? And a long uh, we work with a lot of bigger, bigger partners. Like I said, some of our customers like uh, 3M. And we're looking at a lot of our products have been around education. So we sell a system to universities to help train them how to like cure properly. Mm-hmm. We sell equipment to manufacturers for, for research. We have uh, an enterprise service that 3M is offering to clinicians to you know test their lights. But of course, it's not at a high frequency. And, and really, just in the last couple of months, we've just launched our product that is direct to dentists. So uh, since we've Great. never really sold products direct to dentists, this is brand new for us. So we're, we're doing a lot of research to figure out what is the best way to do that. Yeah. We like to sell our products with education to make sure that it gets implemented properly. That is so important. And so, you know, we I looked at listing it with other distributors, and that might be something we may do in the future. But we want to make sure that we're providing the, the education on on implementing a system that increases success across all procedures using lights and light cure materials. That's Love awesome. It. Thank you. In a lab, we use a lot of light cure material, but we put things like inside a light cure box. Yeah, and here. with 3D printing, it's becoming more Amazing. and more and more. How are we going to calibrate these? That's a that's a very good question. I've, I've only briefly looked at some of the different lights uh, in a lab, and of course, they need to be monitored as yeah. well. So. Because we have those a light cure box, I bet you, so it's like 10 years Coles old. Are, the old Coles are you push it, it for in 30 there, seconds or 60 seconds. It rotates around. It's got these two big bulbs. And I know we've replaced bulbs in it multiple times. Yep. but That's the I only no time idea. we check it is when the bulbs go out. I have no idea if it's yeah. working. Every light source uh, goes through a process of degradation. And eventually, at some point, before it completely stops working, 
might need to be replaced. So, again, it's something that we haven't looked into specifically, but I, I would uh, venture a guess to say it's probably important. Now, yeah. I always correlate things to, like in the dental office, if all of a sudden patients start having sensitivity, materials are discoloring or debonding or fracturing, they're clear signs. Now, most of the time, the materials get blamed. Oh, there must have been something wrong with the material. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times, we can trace it back to the light. So I'd say in the lab, when you're using your... Uh, your your curing boxes, um, you know, is there any uh, failure or any flaws or any weaknesses in the material properties after? Yeah. Uh, so that would be something to, to look at, to monitor, because wow. if you ever see every once in a while, you're wondering, well, geez, that didn't turn out as well as, you know, it should have or normally has been, uh, you know, then it's, it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, if, if it's that old. We need a way to test, because <laughs> honestly, you know, let's say you're curing models, or screw-retained implants or that we, we do, like, 25 a day that we're We curing. cannot risk. Yeah. And I, I have to go back late. to the lab. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you. No, but you're I'm fine. Like, Holy I mean, moly. <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you so, how many yeah. times models, mm-hmm. you know, you print the model, and it seems tight, so you make the adjustment, and then it goes into the mouth. It's open, and you're like, was the model right? I don't know. Maybe. Was it the material? Was it the curing time? Well, or was it the light? Voila. We yeah. need to figure out a way to test these lights inside boxes. And there's a number of variables, and it's important to understand those variables. And if there is one variable that you can control and check to make sure that it's not causing a problem, well, it's really important. Like I know in, in restorative, they're always saying, well, you know, well, isolation is important, yes. And, and the patient's, you know, quality of their enamel and dentin is also, uh, you know. And, but I always say, well, you know, and, and the light. So if you can just test the light and make sure that it's working, you can just completely take that out of the equation of a variable that could contribute to a failure. That's cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I can't wait to get back to the lab. I'm going to go to like three different departments. Well, that's just it. Like I would, I would look at across you know your customers and say, look where there is a higher incidence of failures, mm-hmm. and now you have a, a process to troubleshoot that. And if you can troubleshoot that by reducing the the number of failures in the run of a year, that's great for yeah. a dental lab's business. Yeah, and really, I can't tell you how many times I get asked, which cement do you recommend to use on this? And I honestly have no clue, no affiliation Multi-link. with Multi-link. Mm-hmm. What did I you say? I say that a Multi-link lot. Multi-link? Uh, Variolink from, from Ivoclar is yeah. one, but you've yeah. got to make sure you're mixing it well. Yeah. Now, I've tested you know the cements from all major companies, and... You know, some set a little quicker and they don't set as good. You know, some take longer to set. So it's usually a trade-off. You know, some of the 3M cements, uh, you know, they do take a little bit longer to set. But, man, when they set, (laughs) it's not coming off. Uh, I love that. It shouldn't come off. Yeah, I mean, uh, 3M is a company that we've worked with a lot, but we've worked with all all different companies. And, And really... Independent of the material that's being used, it's important that the clinician is using it properly mm-hmm. and that their light is working and that they're letting their patients know that hold off on chewing anything, you know, really aggressive over the next, I'd you know, 8 tw- to 24 yeah, hours. Yeah, I was going to say I'd 24 say 20, hours. I'd go 24 hours just to be careful. Just yeah. be but careful. they just spent two weeks in the temp being careful. They are ready to hit the stake and chew <laughs> yeah, gum. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. No, every yeah. time uh, when, I, when I talk about this procedure in particular, the clinicians are, well, you know, they just, they're just not aware. Because uh, they're they're not uh, you know material scientists or chemists they you know are focused on you know getting getting things done and so what we're focused on is providing that education to help them increase their success. 
It oh, seems it. simple, but so important. Yeah, yeah it's, it's great. Big time important. Light curing just seems to have fallen through the cracks of, of even education in university, you know, when they're going to school, that uh, the, the most education they get around light curing is, okay, then, then you light cure. You know, not, from, not knowing how long, not knowing, you know, okay, well, we got all these different materials, different shades. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, so it, it's the, the lack of education uh, has been there for a long time, but we do have products to help train dentists on how to do this properly. So, you know, since Blue Light Analytics has been in, in business for 10 years, uh, we have uh, started to make good inroads in, into the education. We're, we're an education and research-based company, mm-hmm. but we need to take all of that knowledge we have and apply it to everyday, you know, clinical practice. Uh, because what's the value of, of our of our research if it's not helping, you know, the everyday practicing clinician? Yeah. I wonder how many schools their lights are not proper. I bet it's, you there's a ton. Uh, or how many hybrids with Gradia oh, that have been geez. cured on those things that their lights aren't working. That's all I can think of in my head is, yeah. big wow, yeah. you it's, wonder why things fail. Yeah, I've we never, yeah. ever thought about the light. We, uh, we see it all the time. I, I, with uh, one of our enterprise products, uh, Checkmark, we've tested over 100,000 lights in the market. And when you come across one, you, so you can be in an office where they have, you know, three or four lights or five lights, yeah. and one is really not working, but there's still a little bit of blue light coming out. And so they can't find out where the problem is. So why oh, some yeah. procedures are working out and some are not working out. Because they're not making a note of which light they use. Yeah. Exactly. They only get the call after the facts. And so, again, when we're able to come in and, and troubleshoot for them very easily, uh, and help them find a solution that, again, fixes the problem. It's, uh, they're more than happy. So I think from, from the lab's perspective, I think the same thing applies. That's well, we awesome. have a lot of laboratories listening to our podcast, so heads up, everybody. Check your lights. Yeah. Super important. Tell your doctor to and check your the doctors. lights. Yeah. Before yeah. you remake it. Before <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it pops uh, off. As a, as a, one, a one-time t- test to just kind of that, have that first opportunity to identify if there really is a problem light, Lights need to be monitored regularly for sure. Sure. But if any of your, your dental labs want to uh, tell any of the offices to call, ring up 3M and say, look, I'd really love for you guys to come and check our lights. Uh, that's a very quick and easy, no expense, no cost, and, and really might find the problem. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, right. Chris. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Yeah. We are here at Voices of Dentistry. And earlier today, the host of the Dental Hacks was on stage. Yes. And Dr. Alan Mead talked about this headlamp that he wore. (laughs) It was pretty funny, actually, when he was was talking about his headlamp. So joining us is Kristen Jensen from Innova Illumination. That's correct. Oh, my gosh. The company that that makes that beautiful light. And she came up and introduced herself. And we asked her, do you guys ever sell these things to dental labs? And sure enough, she does. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us, loops is mostly what you see dental labs using, yeah. right? Yeah, yes. And they're yeah. not very pretty either, just saying, because they, they have five pairs. They aren't, but we actually have some loops with colored oculars. Wow. So wow. you can make them a little bit more fashionable. Obviously, oh. their purpose is to be practical, but if you want, add a little flair. So we offer them in a couple of different colors. You can get them in purple, blue, or green. I'm going to take a catalog home with me. I'm just saying. Are Mine the lenses are ugly colored? Black. No. That no. would be cool. That, <laughs> that would be cool. Get like one, one red and one blue, and then everything's in three. <laughs> right, exactly. And they'll look at them and be like, here's Barb's loops. Yep. Barb. 
Yeah, I've got five pairs. Can you bedazzle so. them? Barb would like uh, some sparkles. sparkles. You know what? Maybe, maybe Barb for you, we could bedazzle some. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. yeah. What, what you want? Purple, blue, oh, green. I, I don't know. Pink and sparkles. Pink and go. sparkles. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Fireball logo on it. <laughs> what do you what? think about the fireball here? Huh? It's kind of casual. It, it, it is kind of casual. I have to say, this is the first <laughs> event I've been to with a fireball dispenser, and I'm not complaining. Yeah. That's what I said. Yeah. I'm like, darn. I was about. I was a little ahead of my time because I talked about having Fireball for many, many months when we started this <laughs> podcast. And then I come here and they're he's talking about it from the stage and whipping oh, out yeah. F-bombs and giving everybody shots. And I'm like, huh, I yeah. like this meeting. Yeah, <laughs> yep, yeah you're, in good, you're in good company here. This is a good place to be. So what is a Nova yeah. come from? What does that mean? Uh, so, so a Nova, we are out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, the name doesn't necessarily... And Nova okay. doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, but, yeah, we've been around since 2006, started out making headlights, and then have transitioned into loops and now mm-hmm. microscopes. So, Wow. we got to get that name out. Before we started recording, we were kind of talking how neat it would be for a dental technician to actually have a light on their loops. Mm-hmm. This is really something that we haven't seen in our industry, and it actually makes sense. I mean, we spend a lot of time worrying about light bulbs that we do in the ceilings because yep. it's color corrected and we got to make sure because we're doing a lot of as with dentist a lot of shades and things right those lights what kind of lights are in these lamps uh yeah so they're all leds okay um, all of the ones that we have are all leds and there are a couple of different options so we have some that you can wear on your head attached to a headband and then there are also some that you can connect with a magnet to the front of your loops oh i wow. see yeah. so, so you look like a dentist yeah. I want to look like a dentist. Yeah. Just for a day. Just for a day. <laughs> you know you know, in the book they called me Dr. Elvis. Oh, Hall. yeah, I know. We're both doctors this weekend. It's kind of cool. It, take yeah. it. Take it. Surround Run with it. Yeah, nobody, with it. nobody needs to know. Yeah. <laughs> so pricing. Do you like pricing? Is it? Yeah, that? so it really depends on which light you're looking for. Um, we also have different discounts and whatnot that mm-hmm. we can offer. So anywhere $800 on up, depending on, on what you're looking for. Yeah. I'm going to take the catalog back. What's your loop magnification? Uh, hard word for me magnification. Oh, <laughs> uh, we start out at 2.5, okay. which is nice. That's a good place to start out. Oh, yeah. You have a nice wide field of view with a 2.5. Yeah. And then depending on what you're working with, you can go up up to a f- uh, 4, a uh, 4.5, 5. What's the most common, do you think? Uh, it depends on, really depends on what you're I'm working four. on. Are you a 4? I'm blind. Yes, I've been doing this all my life. Is I that considered like a high number for yeah. like? It's yeah. on the outside. Of high. It's on the outside of high. Yeah, and, <laughs> and a lot of people will go up to six. Yeah. Wow. So it really depends on what you're working on. We've seen our two point fives are actually really popular just because they're super versatile. Yeah. You can do a lot with a two point five. Yeah. As people age, does their magnification go up? Sometimes, but yeah. it really does depend on preference. Sure. Yeah. Excellent. It sort of kind of yeah. does. I've had to go up a Have little bit as older. I've gotten older. When I you started in the shit. lab when you were Excuse 12, were you at a 1? <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. I can't see. I'll try to work on a crown, and I just cannot see Can there be anymore, negative so magnification that it can actually take me farther away from what I'm working on? <laughs> I don't think I call it magnification. That might be, you might be on to some, <laughs> some new yeah, technology. For, for yeah. someone that really doesn't like what they do. 
Elvis. Right. Farther and farther away. Yeah. 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 Yep. When you just can't even anymore. Yeah. yeah. Just take me away from Can it, please. Can I get please. that negative Say 3. That. I should put <laughs> them on when my boss is right. around. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't. <laughs> Let me see if I can get farther and farther away from you. Are you guys... <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Are you only in the dental field or where else? No, guys- we're in medical veterinary as well, too. Yeah. Wow. Jewelry okay, making. Okay, that makes sense. We have had. Collecting. Maybe. We have I mean, had some know. people in, in jewelry and, yeah. and uh, lash extensions. La- well, yeah. 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 Really? I can see that. Right, you so need that detail. Yeah, last time I did it, I didn't have loops. I messed it all up. I know. Yeah. You have to be terrible. really careful. It yeah, was terrible. Were you doing it on yourself? Uh, no, the dog. Oh, the actually. dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you must wow. have a very photogenic dog. Beautiful dog. Beautiful, yeah. yeah. He's got like yeah. 10. Just five right dogs. now. Yeah. Rescue dogs. Best looking lashes. Yeah. Yeah. That's yep. how you get them adopted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you guys hear about the Voices of uh, we meeting? Do you have a podcast? We don't do have a podcast, but will we, you after this weekend? I think after this weekend, I have to. Yeah, yeah, you have yeah. To, yeah. I think it, the, the, the podcast, the podcast people are the best. So I, I We're think fun. I think yes. that we need one so that we can hang out with you guys more yeah. often. Uh, but Doctor Alan Mead actually invited uh, us. Um, he just okay. got one of our microscopes. Oh, you We're, do microscopes? We too. do microscopes. Yeah, interesting. He just got one of our microscopes. And he loves it. So yeah. he said, you guys, come on. We're from Minnesota. So he enticed us with the warm weather in Scottsdale. Yeah, and we said, all right, yep, you know, people from Minnesota will take any excuse yeah. to go to Arizona in January. Yeah. So and now you're here and we're all <laughs> wearing jackets. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed. Yeah, but it's really pretty outside. I just went for a run. I took a break and went for a run. And then I sat outside, outside for a little while. And it warmed up pretty oh. nice. No, I ran on the treadmill and then I sat outside for a little while. As I was yeah. basking in the Phoenix sun. From Florida. Beautiful. Love it. Yeah, I live in Florida, so I'm it, spoiled. But I yeah. still enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, it's a hard what, What's your magnification on microscopes? Um, so it can go up to 19 times. 19? Yeah. yeah. So you really can really get in there and see a lot of detail. Yeah, what's Alan use? 19? Uh, I don't know. You'd have to ask oh, him. Yeah. We'll I will. Have to have him. So do they have, like, uh, bench light microscopes? Is that what Alan has, Dr. Uh, so Dr. his microscope, it's actually, it's it's huge so you can mount it on the floor ceiling or the wall what did dentists do with microscopes they get in there i mean they do he talks about on the podcast a lot where he's actually working 100 so percent under the, the microscope wow okay I mean, that makes a lot yeah wow. so it really helps uh, ergonomically you're not hunched you over yeah, yeah so you can sense. sit up and and you can work it at a comfortable position do you guys have one wow. at the lab microscope yeah we've got yeah. several we used to do everything under a scope back in the day when, you know, you finished metal and everything. Sure. But now with the zirconia and the mills, we've just eliminated yeah, it. You so. can blow it up digitally. Yeah. yeah. don't need them anymore. But. Awesome. All yeah. Right. Well, thank well, you, thank guys. You. Yeah. Well, we again, what's the name of by. it? Nova. Nova Illumination. No. And, and what's the website? Uh, it's GoEnova. So G-O-E-N-O-V-A dot com. Awesome. Yeah. Go in Go over. Well, thank you for yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to speak with you guys. Yeah, you did great. Thank Bye. you. Yeah, thank you. So a super big thanks to Dr. Madison, Chris Felix, and Kristen Jensen. I have already asked a few of my doctors about checking their light curing unit. As a matter of fact, like I said before, I actually called all of my folks that are technicians that are on the phone. 
and let them know if they see anything that debonds. That's another question that we're adding into our, you know, what could be making it debond. So it's amazing how many of us don't even know about checking it. Another value that we can add to our clients. Try it. They will be thankful. And the next time you are looking for loops, check out the ones from Innova Illumination. Elvis and I loved them. They're super nice. They're definitely not cheap, but they're awesome. And if I didn't already have five of them, (laughs) (laughs) that's actually super funny. And that's a true story. I do actually have five pairs of loops because I am at the bench and sometimes not at the bench and I leave them all over the lab. So if anybody ever finds loops in the bathroom, in the conference room, in the lunchroom, they always come to me. Guys always make fun of other guys when they come walking out of the bathroom wearing loops. (laughs) Oh, and I'm so sad in case you didn't hear another event that we were going to, my partner and I, Elvis, which was the FDLA, the Florida Dental Lab Association Symposium in May, which I was also going to be on a panel on, has now canceled. So far, it will not be rescheduled and we'll have to wait in 2021. Keep the faith, hang out, be with your family exercise and uh, we'll come back strong but i believe it i believe we will come back stronger than we were before i think we'll be yep more valued once this is all over <sighs> i hope so <laughs> let's just keep going as we're going so us florida people it's actually 87 degrees i know you're super jealous and i'm super sorry but i'm actually going to go out i'm in quarantine as you know Uh, Not in quarantine officially, but it's kind of like stay home and be safe. So I'm going to wash my car. Then I'm going to go lay in the sun. Beaches are all closed, right? Yeah, I actually went for a eight-mile run yesterday on Dunedin Causeway. They they let me on it. No cars, can't go on the beach. I took a bunch of pictures and put them on Facebook. I was like, I have never in the probably 40-some-odd years I've lived in Florida seen it so desolate. But there was a lot of people working out. And, um, you know, smiling at each other, being happy, staying a social distance away and doing what they do. And that's, you know, all we can do. All we can do. Get fat, drink, and try (laughs) to exercise a little bit. The joke is you don't want to gain the (laughs) COVID-19. That's funny. I'm going to lose the damn COVID-19. There you go. All right, everybody. Stay safe, stay inside, and we'll talk to you next week. See ya. Have a good one. Bye. positive, okay? (laughs) Okay.